Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. It is Sunday, September 23rd, and the Clemson Tigers kicked off their FCS schedule with a resounding victory over Georgia Tech over the weekend, 49-21. to Of course, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but the ACC is absolutely horrible, so there's a little bit of truth to that. Uh, ben and Cody here with you today to recap the Georgia Tech game, one in which it looks like the Clemson Tigers have found themselves a starting quarterback moving forward for the rest of the season. Um, but Cody, first, um, I, I want to kind of touch base on this national narrative of Clemson being overrated. Um, you've seen it a lot lately, coming out of these victories so far in the young season. Uh, one at Texas A&M, which became very close, coming down to the last play of the last drive in the fourth quarter. And then Georgia Southern not necessarily putting them away as quickly as most would have liked. So starting to see national media, national pundits start talking about Clemson, whether or not um, we're as good as is is advertised. Um, for me, I think a lot of that is because people are just kind of looking um, uh, kind of at the box score and not really digging in deeper to the stats and seeing how many people were playing. Clemson has played 13 true freshmen this year, which is the second most in school history. All 72 players that traveled with the team played against Georgia Tech. So that's not being taken into consideration into account. So I, I think as a Clemson fan base, you need to take everything you're hearing with a grain of salt and be confident in this team and the direction the coaches have it going. Do you think we're overrated? Let me just, I mean, no, I don't. Um, that being said, I, what I don't know is how good this team can be, I guess. Like how elite can this team be just because we haven't seen all the, the best players out on the field for extended periods of time. Now, I think we got some answers over the weekend, specifically the quarterback position. You're starting to see the running backs run better. The, 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 the offensive line is blocking better. So I think as you start to see these things gel, the identity of this team, specifically the offense, is going to come together. Yeah, you, you opened up and you said we found ourselves a quarterback. I feel like you're, you don't necessarily believe that, right? You just, that's kind of the narrative that's, that's straight from this game, right? Or do you, do you believe that? No, and we can I, talk about that. No, too. I, I honestly believe it. And we'll get to it um, in kind of the recap of this game. But I think um, there's a difference in this offense when Trevor Lawrence is, is out on the field. And I don't know if it's, you know, whether it's because of things that Kelly Bryant can't do or things that the coaches just simply won't allow him to do. But what I do know is that they will allow Trevor Lawrence uh, to throw the, the ball downfield, move the offense with more tempo and, just all the things that he is capable of that Kelly Bryant necessarily isn't does open up a lot more more options for this offense. So I, I think, and we'll discuss this again later, but I think just with all those things said, I see Trevor Lawrence as your quarterback moving forward, and I still see that this team, um, we haven't even come close to reaching the ceiling or seeing what that ceiling is. Yeah, you, you talked about the overrated narratives and – yeah, they're looking at box scores, and if you if you haven't like how much how little attention are you paying in your national analyst to one of the best two really the best 
one or two, maybe three programs in the country right now. And you don't know that this is just Clemson style. And one of the top two over the last several years. Y- yeah, exactly. And and you're working out a quarterback battle. So I, I really, I, I, do people care still like what these national, like people care le- less and less they should? Well, I think it's in large part why you can, it's something that you can point to as um, why there's this perceived demise of ESPN. Yeah, well, it's, it's well, here's the thing. Sports fans are getting smarter. The coverage on individual sports teams are getting better. It's becoming more localized with sites like SB Nation. And um, I think The Athletic is doing something similar with the paywall. I mean, people want better content, better coverage, more specific to their team. And if you roll out like these national announcers, we'll say like for the, they do the play-by-play uh, as part of Clemson's broadcast and they don't know the names of our players. Like, yeah, yeah. The, they're watered Can't down greatly. Them, the guy... Uh, one of the guys broadcasting the game, calling the game over the weekend, um, mentioned Martavis Bryant and how he was dropped by the Oakland Raiders. And no mention of the fact that he's been playing with the Oakland Raiders for the past, I think, two games. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, these, they, these guys just don't know what's going on, especially when we're on the, the Raycom level or, or whoever, whatever channel we were on this weekend. Uh, yeah. ESPN 2's third string guys, but. But I'll say that's why we like her. That's why the pot, the podcast here likes Herb Street. And I think most Clemson fans, whether they consciously realize this, the reason you like Herb Street is because he knows, he knows, he knows who, stuff. he knows, he knows who's, uh, Balin Spector is. He can pronounce his name. He knows what position he plays, what state he's from. And like, those are the kind of things that go a long way. But, um, to kind of bring it back to what you're originally saying, like overrated, like I really don't care. I know that. I, I know this. And I know Clemson fans realize this. This team is a lot more in the mold of the 2016 when we talk about ceiling whether we'll get there i, I don't know we'll, we'll, you know we can we talk through that yeah. but it's certainly a, a, a higher ceiling than, than the previous year than the 2017 team and like we've already seen i think a higher ceiling in four games into the season yeah and the offense is is the easy one to point out um that we expect that based on the things that we've seen and the progressions that this team has made over the first four games that we're gonna we feel confident we're gonna continue to see it get better the defense on the other hand not a lot we can talk about yet just because we have played three option teams. Um, thank God that's over with. Uh, we, I mean, we know what we have out of the defensive line. We've seen some good things out of the linebackers. Specifically, Trey Lamar had a monster game against Georgia Tech. He was just knocking people out all over the place. Uh, but the secondary hasn't been tested much at all. Um, so I think we're going to find out a little bit against Syracuse. But again, the ACC set schedule this year is is absolutely horrific just because the teams are terrible. Like there's just bad football. Yeah, you're not going to get too many tests. Uh, you, could, I think most would point to the A and M game as well. That really tests our secondary. But even that was, uh, you know, there were some extenuating circumstances with with the holding of our defensive linemen. With Mon having just an unbelievable game, uh, our our defensive our Venables not knowing how Jimbo was going to play it with Mon, and uh, and I don't know. It's really hard for a cornerback to cover for that long, for like seven seconds, as Mon is, you know, perusing the sideline as like like in Deshaun Watson fashion. So anyhow, a lot to lot to work out. We still don't know that the secondary is is like a, a negative. I don't think it is by any means. I still think the corners are very strong and some work to do with the safeties. But like you, you mentioned, Lamar, some I'm very work to do catching the ball <laughs> at corner. I mean, yeah. <laughs> for one guy in particular, if that's a championship game. I'd be a little upset. Yeah. But you know, we were up by like four scores. Um, so yeah, again, this, this season is part of the process with Dabo and the coaching staff. We've seen that now we're comfortable with that. Now we know that they're going to play a ton of freshmen and we know that, that 
that young guys, inexperienced guys, are going to get in some meaningful minutes early on in games. I mean, you saw it in this game. We replaced all our linebackers by the third series, um, you know, uh, for, against Georgia Tech, you know, and that's not an easy offense to, to scheme against. I mean, Brenton Vittables makes it look easy, but, you know, in general it's not. You know, granted they have seen three option teams now at this point in the year, but just the fact that you're having those guys in so early and so often – it just points to the fact that this team is developing players. It's a process. They're developing players throughout the year because, you know what, we don't have to play Alabama until the playoff. And nobody's coming out of the ACC that scares you right now. These coaches have a good grip on the team, and they have a good gauge of their competition. Agreed. And honestly, like I, I think the defensive line's been great through the first four games. I think. Well, I think they were obviously a little bit better in one game uh, down in college station i don't blame them if they want to put it at 70 80 percent against option teams that are prone to chop blocking i'm not saying that's what they're doing i think they're 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 giving a little bit even more effort than i would suspect but heck if they want to protect their knees against these bottom dwelling teams um, not even fbs teams in Furman and uh in georgia southern then so be it but they're still they're still unbelievable even if they're putting in potentially less effort okay well let's not Throw shade at Georgia Southern. They are an FBS school. Oh, are they? Okay, yeah. my bad. We don't play two FS, FCS teams, um, again, unless you're counting teams from the ACC this year. Um, but, yeah, I agree. But they were phenomenal in this game. I mean, yeah. and that's part of the reason why Georgia Tech couldn't do anything. They just created piles that they couldn't run over, through, or around. And after that shaky first series, um, you know, the defense turned it on, and Georgia Tech never really had a chance uh, for the rest of the game. So, again, we need to start seeing some other offense, some other style offenses to know exactly what we're going to get out of this defense. And I think just coming out of the offense, you're starting to see those flashes, which we'll get into here. But all around, I, yeah, I overrated is – well, I, I don't worry about hearing it right now, and I honestly don't care if we get bumped to number three in the polls and push Georgia up there. I don't care because, honestly, at the end of the year, um, it matters how we play on the field. And right now we're 4-0, and if we stay undefeated, we'll be in the – We'll be in the college football playoff. Um, so before we move on to uh, breaking down the Georgia Tech game, I want to give a quick plug to the podcast. We appreciate all the interaction you guys have been giving us, whether on Facebook or Twitter. We're at Clemson Podcast there. You can email us at clemsonpodcast at gmail.com. Um, and then Tully, uh, one of our co-hosts here and our normal host when he's not raising children, he has been setting up some interviews and doing those here uh, during the season that have been really great. So we encourage you to go check those out. He has one coming up with the guys, again, who from ClemsonPause.com is going to be on. Do you know yet? I'm not sure. I think okay. it's Kurt. Okay. So Kurt, one of those guys. Kurt like Vonnegut, possibly. <laughs> um, so him and Quacking Tiger uh, from Shaking the Southland, he's setting up an interview to discuss the quarterback battle. So I think this is a pretty apropos time to discuss that. So go check that out. Again, if you, if you know Quacking Tiger, and we know most of you do, how good of an interview he is, and then now circling back around, this is our first kind of reaching out to the Clemson Paw guys. Tully did an interview with them, uh, two of them, a couple weeks ago. But great stuff. Encourage you to go check that out. And and it's going to be more of a Tully's going to serve as a moderator uh, in like a debate, or we'll say it's more of a discussion, but debate style type format. Well, with, specifically when Quacking Tiger, you just kind of step out of the way and let him go, right? Yeah, well, he's he's in the pro Trevor Lawrence camp, and then you have I guess uh, the guys from Clemson Paws are in the pro KB camp, which I wonder if that is still the case but has that changed over the weekend well we'll see um okay with that let's get into the georgia tech game 
Okay, let's start on the offense here, Cody. Um, another slow start by this offense. It's been pretty typical um, in, in all the games that we've played this year. And I think that in and of itself kind of speaks to perhaps maybe inserting Trevor Lawrence as your starting quarterback, just to have him on the field first, go out there, get the first few series, and it's kind of light a fire under this team and, and get us away from these slow starts. You know, it's, it's nice to jump out ahead of these teams and not have to battle leading into the half, but you know, it's not just that. I mean, you saw it in this game, everything that he's capable of. With Trevor Lawrence out there, there's more downfield passing. The screens become more effective just because they have to worry about that downfield passing, and he just gets the ball out quicker than KB does. Um, they're able to take more chances on on early downs just because Trevor Lawrence has the ability to convert on those third and longs that, again, not that Kelly Bryant doesn't, but they're just not calling the plays for him. So, you know, you hear some gripes out there that they that it's kind of unfair to KB because he's not being allowed to, to throw the ball downfield as much as Trevor Lawrence, and they're calling different stuff for him. And I don't know what it is that they're just not allowing him to do that because um, they don't think he can or for whatever reason. But all I do know that if they're not going to allow him to do that, then you need somebody else who can to run this offense, and that's Trevor Lawrence. Because when you see him out there, the play calls that they're making makes it – a much more dynamic offense and the the stats don't lie right the numbers speak for themselves we're just better the qbr ratings and we don't want to go a whole like trevor lawrence versus kelly bryant you'll have that later in the week but the qbrs were 94 trevor lawrence to 17.3 kelly bryant but i i couldn't help but as i rewatched it to think you have to put an asterisk by this game for Kelly Bryant, I, I can't help but wonder if he's still injured and if that didn't uh, impact the coach's decision to, to, to sit him a little bit early, uh, not not really give him too many. I think he had, was it one or two drives in the second half, but that was it. And then, of course, the play calling, which you know, I think you know, Dr. B from Clemson Paws had a, a recap where he cited they obviously attack differently. They give Kelly Bryant a much more conservative set of plays and he doesn't get to showcase, as you said, some of his his downfield passing, which he, by all accounts he has improved on. The caveat being, I don't know that he wasn't injured. And secondly, when you only when you go three and out or you only get one first down in a drive, you don't really open yourself up to a whole lot of opportunities to have those shots. No, exactly. Because he was, he was. I think one was a th- three and out, and the other was, I think they had one first down. Um, I could be wrong. It was the first, I'm thinking the first two drives. And but. He, didn't, he didn't get a ton of help there either. I mean, ETN dropped a pass on one of the first downs that, again, puts them behind the change with chains, which is – you know, again, either Kelly Bryant is not good at converting on third down or they're just not calling plays for him that allow him to do that. And then there was a throw to Marty Rogers on a third down that was two yards in front of the chain. I mean, why would you even throw it to that spot? Like get to the get to the line, uh, get to, get to the first down line. It was a long. Yeah, it was a long delivery. I mean, these are things that we talked about. It's not like, hey, he'll get better. It's like that's something that will not change your mechanics. Right. Uh, Tebow spent a whole offseason trying to fix it. He wasn't able to do it. Kelly Bryant's not going to be able either. And. Like you said, there there was the drop pass by ATM, but in those first two drives, it was more or less self-inflicted. There was a pass to Garrett Williams that was almost was intercepted. Yeah. yeah, so, uh, I mean, if you, what makes you think he's going to be able to execute on these long, uh, intermediate to long passes if he's having a hard time with these five, seven-yard slant, uh, digs, whatever uh, routes? Well, and, you know, and that's a good question, and he may not have success there, but I guess my kind of gripe is, is that we're not seeing him be allowed to do that, right? I would like to at least see it tried, especially if you're going to go out with a two-quarterback system and that's your philosophy. I want to see both guys have the same opportunities to do something. 
or you just move away from the two quarterback system and you name Trevor Lawrence your guy, which I think I would I anticipate based on kind of what you're hearing back from the coaches and in their interviews of them being very vague about things. Whereas after the previous three games, it's Kelly Bryant's the starter. Didn't come out that way, uh, you know, yesterday and today from the coordinators and then Dabo in his uh, Sunday teleconference today. Well, I, I still think and maybe injury didn't play a factor. And if that's the case, if that's the a, a healthy Kelly Bryant, then that is, I think it could be enough to turn the table and into Trevor Lawrence's uh, for him to be named the starter. Um, assuming that he was injured or uh, well, let's go, let me go back. You talked about, you would like to see the play call evened out in a way where, Hey, let's see if he can make those downfield passes there. Maybe that's true for the, the, the totality of the season, but what we saw in the Georgia tech game alone, I don't think that's, there was a substantial enough evidence there to say they are making it conservative for him because he didn't go after those first two failed drives. And then Trevor Lawrence, more or less scoring on every possession he's in the game. He went back in, Kelly Bryant went back in in the second half. We already had such a hefty lead. It, it was kind of uh, more conservative mode by design. Right, but he had some good passes there to TJ Chase, and then Overton dropped a big one that would have been a first down. Um, so, again, part of it, kind of like last year, he wasn't getting a lot of help from wide receivers. And, you know, who knows what it is? Um, I certainly don't. We can only speculate. But the eye test from what we're seeing with Trevor Lawrence in the game, this offense is at a different level than it is with Kelly Bryant. Yeah, so I think we're watching him blossom before our eyes. It, it's not like, I think we're expecting that 2015 Deshaun Watson, or I'm sorry, that's 2014 level, Deshaun Watson as a freshman. And you haven't seen quite, well, 90, 94 QBR rating. Uh, that's that's pretty sizable. That's probably the the best we've seen, Lawrence. But he, he hasn't been quite as, uh, what would you say, um, electric as Deshaun Watson in those first few games like that North Carolina five touchdown game and NC State he, he went off but man he's he's getting better slowly but surely and one thing Dr. B did point out in his article you just can't replicate um, or simulate these in-game reps that he's getting and one thing I noticed he um, he, he pulled the ball and ran uh, right before the interception where he threw it off of Edian pulled the ball and, and ran he ended up he was a little bit slow once he realized he uh, his receivers recovered downfield um, ended up turning the ball over that possession, comes back the next possession, similar play, all the, I think he had uh, trips right with the receivers. That was in the two minute drill, the drive before the end of the half. Right. Pulls the ball. He noticed once you have your, all your guys to the strong side, he pulls the ball without hesitation that time. And that's where he extended the 11 yard run. Like you're seeing these little, he's picking up things. He's learning as right. we go. And it's not like this, this huge swing in his, his performance or his, um, what would you say is functioning or, or is, is whatever you want to call it. Um, but he's, he's picking it up and you're seeing it. You're seeing evidence of it within a game. Well, and case in point, the, uh, the throw to Justin Ross for the TV, for him to recognize that um, they're on the outside, that, that, that they weren't getting a lot of uh, safety help there on Ross and to be able to make that call to get it out to there. Now, look, it, it looked like it was a, it wasn't like some miraculous throw and catch. I mean, he was wide open, but just the the smarts to recognize that, get the ball out to one of your playmakers. And then for Justin Ross, uh, he looked like a veteran on that little move right there that he gave the, the defensive back before he went in and scored. So good to see him just being such a young guy. He's going to be phenomenal. Yeah, he. we're going to see a lot more of, of Trevor Lawrence to Justin Ross. All of our receivers are just really good. Um, Hunter uh, Hunter Renfro made a couple of catches. The one touchdown catch and the other by the sideline. The sideline was Jesus. I mean, 
that kid to go up there and catch that ball and have the wherewithal to get that toe in, I mean, we're going to miss him. I mean, as good as wide receiver corps we've had over the past several years, and this could be the most talented group that we've ever had, like it's, it's going to be hard not to miss Hunter Renfro. We will indeed miss him. Um, one thing I've noticed, speaking of slot receivers, an observation I had in the game was the benefit of putting Trevor Lawrence in. You mentioned starting him. Uh, to get that momentum early when you have the first guys in it's just it's a better product it gets yeah. it gets gradually incrementally diluted once you put backups in as good as they are they don't play with the first teamer so the product just gets a little bit diminished what they did was they had uh, trevion thompson at the slot and then they had etn uh thompson overton uh to the field side and then uh etn in the backfield who is by far our best running back i think we know that by now Thompson is so much better of a lead blocker and just sucks yeah, up. He really is sucks yeah. up whatever DB he's blocking, which makes the difference between a guy making a tackle for for loss or a, a no gain at the line of scrimmage, and a we'll say ten or twelve yard run for Etienne. So like you you got to have these kind of guys. And I, I love Thompson. I'm gonna I'm gonna be singing his praises if he continues to block the way he has because that's just. I watched Alabama. We'll talk a little bit about this later. Man, they block on the outside and it, it does things for Damian Harris and. And the Harris guy, or the other Harris, Najee Harris, we gotta we gotta see the same thing for Etienne. Yeah, I mean, we know that we have well, not just Etienne, but Amari Rogers too. Um, he's our leading receiver on the year. He's getting a lot of touches. Had six catches in this game. Um, so yeah, the more that you can get those guys out in space, and then have some wide receivers and maybe some tight ends on the edge to block for them, sky's the limit. Those guys are going to hit some big home runs. Exactly, and I, I like I like what I saw. We can talk about the offensive line. That's been something we've question all season and Georgia Tech by no means has a great defensive line or front seven but they did a I think a stellar job in, in run blocking I saw both uh, Simpson I thought especially did a great job when he was pulling to the right blocking uh, giving some of those lead blocks for Feaster and Etienne which created a lot of distance edge blocking again prim, uh, perimeter blocking we'll say uh, DeAndre Overton looked look like a stud Thompson let's keep getting him out there even if it does cut into Renfro's uh, snaps a little. Yeah, I mean, between Etienne and Feaster, speaking to the offensive line, um, nearly 200 yards between them on the day on 19 carries, um, Etienne averaging over 11, a carry and Feaster over nine, close to nine and a half. So I think a lot of it for Etienne is not just the offensive line, it's just him himself just shedding off tackles. It's it's absolutely amazing what he's able to do in the open field and how he can bounce off of hits. And his balance uh, is one of his greatest attributes in addition to his vision and his speed and his mobility. Um, but again, but when you're talking about Feaster, you know, a guy like Feaster, they were really opening things up for him. When Feaster got in there daylight, you saw him turn on the jets there for that TD run that he had. Um, he ran well, good to see him starting to come along. It yeah, is to say that ETN is our, our surefire number one running back is not a slouch or is not a, any way to denigrate, uh, Feaster because he's definitely picked up uh, a step. It seems like in the offseason. I'm glad he wasn't injured on that play. Yeah, that um, was, that, that could have been bad because, you know, even with Adam Choice back there, you know, he averaged three yards of carry on the day. He bounces around a lot in the backfield. And Lynn J. Dixon, you know, they don't clearly trust him enough yet to get him into the game. I mean, he got in the game on Chase Bryce's drives at the end, but he was we didn't see him before that. Um, so, yeah, very important that we keep Feaster healthy. Let me talk about Etienne because I, I told Joe I wanted to give you, I had this nugget of information I wanted to give you. I didn't tell you before the episode what it was. It actually goes back to your comment when Etienne had like one game under his belt during his freshman year. And you said, I think this guy's going to win a Heisman at Clemson or that he could win a Heisman. And we laughed at me until he laughed at you. Well, I actually dug up some numbers. And by the way, 
Dabo could go out in a press conference tomorrow and, and proclaim that ETN should get Heisman consideration. ESPN would run all over it. And from that point forward, ETN would, that would be all it would take. Remember when Spiller, we were trying to, right. we had to market to get Spiller yep. into that, into that uh, conversation. Um, we won't do that in 2018 because we don't want to put too much of the spotlight on any one guy. And that's just the way the coaches roll, uh, the way Dabo rolls. But let me give you some, some of the top two running backs, AJ Dillon of Boston College, Jonathan Taylor of Wisconsin, uh, both of which actually true sophomores as well. Um, AJ Dillon's number 78 carries 491 yards, 6.3 yard average, four touchdowns rushing five total. Jonathan Taylor, 102 attempts or rushing, uh, carries 628 yards, 6.2 average, five total rushing TDs. Ready to hear ETNs? Only 46 carries less than half of Jonathan Taylor's 391 yards, 8.5 yards on average, more than two uh, yards ahead of the other guys that are that are the leading running back contenders, and then also five total or uh, five touchdowns rushing, six total. So he's got more touchdowns, a, a two yard uh, average greater, uh, and on on half the carries or less than half the carries, more or less. Yeah, and I listen. I love it when you prove me right. I really appreciate that. <laughs> um, and it's only going to get better as ETN starts to get more and more carries. After the A&M game, you saw it in Georgia Southern um, where he started to get more touches. Same thing uh, carried through into the Georgia Tech game, and he's getting targets out of the backfield. Now, he had that one drop where he was open in space with Kelly Bryant. Um, he had another one which was on the Trevor Lawrence interception where Trevor threw it into the back of uh, what was it, Cervenka, yeah. um, into the back of his head. But, again, that's another uh, dynamic part of the game. So once he can start to bring that and you start getting him to the ball out of the backfield through the air – um, listen, he is a, a 50, 60, 70 yard touchdown run, uh, you know, one tackle away every single time he touched the ball and that's having broken through four other tackles. So I mean, he's a weapon and he's a monster and we got to feed him the ball, him and Amari Rogers. And you're starting to see that more. Yeah. I guess my only like takeaway from that is not to say, Hey, let's wave the, the ETN for Heisman flag, but let's prioritize him in a way like he is one of the better running backs in the country. Right. Because and as opposed to like this interchangeable system where we just play Clemson football, it uh, doesn't matter who's in, because I think that's a very dumb way of looking at it. Well, and I think when we start to see stiffer competition that you're definitely going to see just the main guys in there, probably ETN and Feaster. There is something to be said about not wearing these guys down over the course of the season. We got spoiled Wayne Train just because he was so durable, could take a hit and would just, you know, can't remember how many rushes he had each each season, but he was the main guy, right? We didn't have a lot of second and third stringers come in and play. Uh, you're seeing that with this group of guys, and there are some frustrations, especially if, if, if the Texas A&M game isn't as close as it was. You probably don't start to hear those rumblings about, okay, we need to get ET in the ball more, but... Listen, this is how they're gonna this is how they're going to run this offense. But once we get into tighter games against better competition, yeah. trust us, you're gonna see ETN and Feaster get the get the lion's share of the the carries. Yeah, and I guess by prioritizing, it's not just a, I didn't mean that just in the way of giving him uh, more carries relative to the other two or other three. It's it's also who who's blocking out there. Like is is it Garrett Williams or is it Mylon Richard or is it Hunter Renfro or is it Trevion Thompson? Like that's that's what I mean. But no, you're right. It, I think you will see the distribution go more and um, towards the end towards uh, Etienne and, and Feaster. Um, so I think that about wraps it up here for the offense, Cody. I mean, we didn't really touch on this as your opinion. But what do you think coming out of this game? Do you name Trevor Lawrence the starter going into Syracuse? 
You know, I, I'm indifferent. I think we see the way things are going. Um, there is one quarterback that's clearly better than the other. It's not as mu- it's not as big of a, a gap as we would have thought, but it's it's starting to widen. So I'm okay if you if you still name Kelly Bryant starter. But ultimately, I think who gives he, us the best chance to win because that's what the coaching staff preaches to us. That's who they're going to play. Who gives us the best chance to win? It's it's certainly Trevor Lawrence. And I mean, he should be starting. He gives us the better chance to win, and when we're out there, we're a better team. So I think by that logic, it's a pretty uh, that pretty much answers your question. I would say, um, but I, I do agree though that whether it's a twenty percent uh, KB distribution where he gets in a little bit, I'm okay with that. I'm I'm okay using him in, in certain. If it's goal line, if it's just giving yeah. him the, a couple series here and there, I, I'm okay with that. Put Trevor out for the first three series, go up twenty-one nothing, and then insert KB. I mean, you got to admit, uh, the clock. it's not just that he gives us a better chance of winning. Uh, if you just get down to the nuts and bolts of it, every time he's out there, he gives us a high percentage chance of scoring. And I think I look at his drives. Whatever he had, like twenty, and he scored on. We scored touchdowns on more than half. I'm just throwing out numbers now, but I know it's, it's... Yeah, I don't know. I had to sharpen my pencil there and kind of and, and go back and look at it, but I would say more than 50%, right? Yeah. Like, just off the top of my head, it seems like 75%. And, and here's the thing. Kelly Bryant has by no means had a bad year. He's been more or less 2017, maybe even a little bit better. Yeah, but for a guy that has so much that he needs to improve on, especially in the passing game, if he's not out there getting reps, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And I, I would say with, with Trevor Lawrence, if there's any people that are like, no, let's let's stick with KB. We trust him. He knows the offense. Well, you're right. And I think when you see things from Trevor Lawrence like that interception to Etienne, it tends people, there's more of an emotional weight put on that into how you calculate who is the better, who gives us the best chance to win. If you can remove the emotion of a, a touchdown here and there, or I'm sorry, an interception here and there. If you just look at the numbers, man, they're they're pretty convincing. Well, listen, KB doesn't turn the ball over, neither does Trevor Lawrence based on his high school. Um, uh, stats. So I, I don't think we're going to worry too much about that. I mean, part of the reason that Kelly Bryant doesn't turn the ball over more is because the coaches don't put him in that position by not allowing him to throw over the middle of the field because he did, does tend to throw the ball high. We saw that in this game a couple of times. Um, but yeah, don't they let the emotions get to you when something like that happens. And I love the fact that they go and throw him right back out there, see him run the two minute drill and he goes down and scores before the half. Making that that throw, by the way, the throw uh, running to his left, uh, Renfro, and then again on a third and long to his right to Amari Rogers. Well, and that that was the throw for the score running to the left. Just the fact on the throw to Renfro on the sideline going down there to end the first half, um, he threw off his back foot and still got that ball there. And sen- yeah, he sensed the pressure. Yeah. And I mean, those are throws that just... This can't. I mean, I won't say that Kelly Bryant can't make them. Most college quarterbacks can't make those throws. And if you have a guy that can, I would. It would behoove you to play him and probably start him. So you're saying if you have a guy who can make NFL throws, that you should start him. That seems to be the logic, right? <laughs> I think so. I mean, not a lot of guys can roll to their right. And frankly, the way our offensive line is playing, I hope they improve. You got to have a guy that can throw on the run. Uh, I mean, look at look at Mayfield last year. Look at what that can open up for a college offense. Well, so from the podcast view of things, you know, you've got me who says that Trevor Lawrence should definitely be the starter going into the next week. Cody's kind of uh, probably thinks that Trevor Lawrence is the best option, would not be surprised or disappointed if they started Kelly Bryant. Um, I'd be interested to hear Sam and Tully's take. I would, I would tend to think Tully is on Trevor Lawrence's side, and I think Sam might be too. Tully actually messaged me and he had a question and I didn't, I was not going to bring it up, but I'll, I'll throw it out. Uh, this is four games in the season. And if Kelly Bryant uh, sees the writing on the wall, 
um, he could transfer. And I don't, I hate to speculate on transfers, but the only reason is because it's not because a guy's riding the pine and he's, you know, third string or whatever. It's because a guy's actually a good college quarterback and he has a chance to play one more year. It is, and it, it is a consideration. And I, I hope it doesn't happen. I think. Hey, I've been saying it since that new rule. I think he has his role to play though for Clemson. Yeah. The question is whether or not he sees himself as a quarterback at the next level. That'd be the only reason to transfer to some other team, go to a lesser team next year and try to be a quarterback for a year and be successful at it. Right. I mean, these are his brothers. He's, you know, he has a chance to win a championship and be a, maybe you're not the starting quarterback, but you will be a contributor on this team. You'll probably score a touchdown in the championship game. Just there's, there's certainly enough value out of Kelly Bryant where um, he would certainly get his touches and get his game action on the year. And again, we're one injury away from needing that, that, that second guy to, to carry the load. Um, we won't mention a much about Chase Bryce, but it's, it's clear that there's a drop off there. There is absolutely. Um, yes. Yeah, so that wraps it up for the offensive take here, uh, for Georgia tech. I mean, overall, a, a pretty good day for the offense. Again, they put up 49 points and the difference seems to be Trevor Lawrence. That's what the evidence is showing us. We'll see how the coaches feel about that. Uh, likely will come out Monday with uh, Monday or Tuesday with their depth chart for the Syracuse game. And at that point, we expect them to name a starter. Uh, so with that, let's move on to the defense. Okay, so Georgia Tech came into the game leading the nation in rushing with 392 yards a game. Clemson holds them to 146 yards in this game on 2.6 yards a rush. We've seen them. I, I think Georgia Southern had less than one, or sorry, less than two yards of carry in the last game. This this defense and Brent Venables just eats up option teams at this point. It's a little bit unfair. Uh, I, I, we you saw early our linebackers are having a little bit of trouble. JD Davis. Yeah, I mean, what's you look back at O'Daniel, uh, Dorian O'Daniel, and Kendall Joseph, and they played together in that for they've done that for three years. At that by that point, they just it was like uh, they were an autopilot. It was clockwork for them. Uh, they knew their assignment. They knew who had who was the who was the pitch and who had the option guy. Um, and it, they they were it was right like tackles for loss or right at the line of scrimmage. And then you get guys second guessing, not trusting their their counterpart there with like JD Davis. Well, J.D. Davis is also a step slower than Kendall Joseph, and I think early on in the first drive of the game, um, he was a step slow in getting to the guy on the outside that ended up in a big play. So you do see a little bit of drop-off there, but, I mean, listen, J.D. Davis has been serviceable throughout his career, especially in the uh, the later portion of his career, getting some meaningful minutes, and he'll continue to do that through the rest of the year. The good news is we don't play an option team again. Right. My, my take there is you, you, we didn't learn anything about J.D. Davis Aside from maybe he is a step slower than Kendall Joseph, but I think we already knew that. Uh, we learned that he's not great against option teams, or like he he doesn't have his confidence uh, there. It doesn't tell us anything about anybody else on our schedule. Exactly, because we're not playing another option team. Um, well, speaking of linebackers, though, Trey Lamar mentioned him being a beast. He had some huge hits on the day where he did. I mean, a couple where he, I know the first fumble, it was him, was yeah. caused by him, and he had some other spectacular hits in the backfield. Uh, really great to see him coming on. I liked him. He was he looked like a guy who was his third year playing an option team, yeah. and he knew what and his he was, third game of the year playing an option. Team. <laughs> right. Christian Wilkins was. I mean, the, the amount of pressure we were getting along the interior. I mean, that's just like an option team can do nothing against if you're you're chopping the the, the head off. Uh, you know, right there uh, at the line of scrimmage. So uh, he wasn't sensational. I think he was just having fun dancing back there, like. 
mean, what, what more can you, I mean, I'm, I, again, I'm glad that he put in all that effort and they could have easily put it in, you know, third gear, second gear and still come out with the win, but it seemed like they were really putting it all. Well, that's the leadership qualities of these guys who have been there, you know, here four years and Dexter Lawrence, uh, three years when you're talking about the starting defensive lineman. Yeah. They, and it's, it's about pride. They have pride in what they do. Brent Venables uh, preaches a lot of that pride and, you know, he's the last guy you want to let down if you're on that, if you're on that defense. So not surprised at all to see them really getting after things all day long. I don't really know what we can say anymore. Just again, We've got three option teams. We played the best of the three that were on our schedule, and we dominated them on the defensive side of the ball. So that points to our defensive line being dominant. That points to our linebackers playing well in the day after they shook the first drive there. What we're not getting a good gauge of at all is our secondary play. Um, After this game, our fourth game of the year, uh, between the three option teams, they have thrown the ball 26 times. Uh, with 10 completions. no, Neither of those teams, none of the three teams have thrown for more than nine uh, attempts in a game. Uh, those three teams passing at 38.5% completion rate for only 163 yards through those three games. So the only game we really get tested is that Texas A&M game uh, with Kalamon coming out and just being on fire in the fourth quarter and ended up with 430 yards passing through the air. Um, so moving forward, and I think we're going to find out a lot about this secondary going into the Syracuse game, if any, if last year was any indication, but do you have any concern whatsoever that they haven't been tested yet? Yes. Um, I, well, as it relates to Syracuse, no, I'm not that worried. I think as, as the season goes along, I, I have some concerns there. Um, but, and I, and I, I wouldn't say, again, I wouldn't say that Mon exposed our secondary. I think any secondary would be exposed if someone can extend plays the way he was, but um, I, I do. I, I wouldn't say like secondary as a whole. I, I'm really confident in our cornerbacks. I think uh, AJ Terrell and, and Mullen are good. Fields, despite that drop pass, is good. I'm worried about the safeties. I'm worried about uh, Muse uh, there at the strong side, and then Denzel, Denzel Johnson backing him up. Come on, Wallace. I'm less worried about. I think he still needs to get his his sea legs under him. He needs to get, uh, go up against a passer that's gonna that's gonna stress him a little bit. But, but then you just have Nolan Turner behind him. How confident are you in Nolan Turner? Not 100%. I don't want him against Bama or a playoff team, but um, he's serviceable. And right now, he with potential to well, right. maybe get so a little be- bit better. Between Johnson and Turner, those those are your next in line guys. And as much as we like to sub on both sides of the ball, um, they're not getting in a ton. You're seeing those, those first team guys uh, at the cornerback position and safety being out there a lot. And I think probably at cornerback, it's because you don't trust the second team guys as much as you do your starters. And I think... At safety, it's probably because those guys need more reps. The starters, that is. I think so. I think well, all of them. You, there's only so many bodies right now that right. we have to play safety. But I, I do like Denzel Johnson's like physical makeup. Like he's he's pretty athletic. I think I think you're right. Giving him like both the starters and the second teamers there is going to help us because they they need those reps. Man, uh, you looked at how like kind of uh, timid Johnson was playing against A&M, uh, there late in the game. It's like, you, you got to get your, got to get some aggression there and get your confidence up. So, um, they have four serviceable guys. Well, they have one plus safety. I think Muse is, is can give you a plus grade from time to time. And, uh, then you have two serviceable backups right now. So we saw safety play really be an issue in the national championship game against Alabama back in 2015. Um, again, looking down the road, not too worried about our ACC regular season schedule, but 
once you start getting into an ACC championship game, you're going to be playing, oh, hell, I don't know, Miami now. Whomever decides no idea. to be the best of the worst coming out of that group. Uh, but then getting into the college football playoff, should that happen, you're going to be playing teams, teams in Ohio State and Alabama, uh, possibly Georgia or Oklahoma, that are going to give your safeties trouble. I think so. I mean, you saw what Alabama did to us really two years in a row, uh, especially in 15. And now they have an even better quarterback. And I don't even say to say that he's even better is, is an understatement. He's he can make you pay even if you're not busting. Well, we have a long ways to go to figure that out. And again, I mentioned, I think we're going to start to, to, to see some of these questions get answered against Syracuse. At least you hope that's the case, um, because you want to see teams start testing our secondary again up until this point. It's not because they didn't want to. Uh, it's just because they couldn't because these most of the teams we play don't pass the ball. But moving forward throughout the season, I think we need to keep a close eye on this because if we start showing some weaknesses, some chinks in the armor there in the secondary, that's uh, the point on the defense, the part of the defense that good coaching is going to start to pick apart later in the season and as we start to play more elite-level competition. Um, so not many takeaways for the defense here other than the fact that they just dominated. Again, we're just very happy not to have to be talking about any triple option teams um, until we play Georgia Tech next year. Um, anything out of the uh, special teams, Cody? Uh, BT Potter, we haven't talked about him a ton, but he puts the ball at the back of the end zone every time, further helping the defense, um, having opposing offense to start every time on the 25-yard line. And I think it has, I have to think that saves you seven points a year if you just have a guy who's kicking out back of the end zone every time. And hopefully those seven points are something that would come in a playoff game where the stakes are higher and um, you can't afford errors like that. Otherwise, punt returning with Amari Rogers is, is continued to be solid. You've seen Cornell Powell get some good runs on kickoff. Uh, Will Spires uh, punted fine this game, averaged over 40 yards, but not a lot to take away. Greg Hugel hit all his extra points, all seven of them. Um, I think last week was an aberration due to the storm and everything. So solid plus special teams play, nothing spectacular. You have any takeaways? Well, we're in 75th, uh, right now, by the way, and I'm talking about S and P ratings. That's Bill Connolly's. And again, these are the best statistical measures of how, how you do on offense. We're nine on offense, by the way, nine on defense, that'll improve and 75th on special teams. And I, I think that we talked about this a little bit before the episode. I think that's due to, uh, missing some field goals. And then our coverage units might be a little bit down. I think Skalski, QT, I mentioned this in an article. The coverage unit's a little bit behind where it was in previous years because of Skalski, and he'll be back, as we know, uh, hopefully for the, the championship run. We saw him a little bit on Saturday. Um, but, yeah, I don't have any other. I think uh, Hugel's issues were win-related, weather-related, so I think that'll clear clear up as well. Yeah, no huge concerns, especially not with Hugel. Again, I think that was an aberration. Uh, given the conditions there, but he's been solid for us before and he will continue to do so. He's a guy that you can trust to go out there and hit a big kick to to, to win a game. So um, that wraps it up for the Georgia Tech review. Just another dominating performance on the defensive side of the ball for the Clemson Tigers and Brent Venables. Paul Johnson, I've got to think this is his last year at Georgia Tech. And thank God, because again, this offense is not an entertaining one. Uh, to, I mean, it's it's fun to watch the defense go out there. Um, and stymie these guys, but it's again, it's pretty boring in, in my book. And Paul Johnson seems like a pretty boring guy. No injuries, so that was that's a big no plus. injuries. We'll yeah. take that. So from what I, all, from what we know so far, uh, nothing serious at least. Um, and then on the offensive side of the ball, the intriguing storyline: Does Trevor Lawrence win the starting job in this game? We tend to think so. We'll find out.
is Etienne going to win the Heisman? Is Etienne going to win the Heisman? Not quite as important as the, who wins the quarterback battle, but I'm not sure there's many guys that can tackle him. So um, maybe not this year, possibly next year. Unless next year's Trevor Lawrence's year. I, I know. I, well, this would be the one year for Etienne to potentially do it. And what if you look up at the end of the year? It's like you know, you, you actually start going to him and you, you prioritize him, and you're like, oh wow, he's got the best numbers of any running back in the nation. Maybe he went. Maybe he's uh, gonna, you know, get an invite to New York all of a sudden. Hey, we'll take an invite. That's good exposure. It's always good to have a Clemson guy there. Um, yeah. So again, wraps it up for Georgia Tech. Good game by the Tigers. We'll see what Syracuse has in store next week. Uh, but Cody, let's move on to talking about the college football landscape. Okay. So finally, a handful of games of interest over the weekend. I think the one that that you and I and probably most Clemson fans were most intrigued uh, by was the Alabama Texas A&M game. You know, hoping that Texas A&M was going to give Alabama um, struggles just to make us feel better about them giving us struggles. Uh, Kellen Mond was a shell of his former self, at least uh, coming out of the Clemson Texas A&M game. When compared to that, Alabama was it was close in the first half. They pulled a little bit away at halftime, but for the most part, another dominating. Performance by the Crimson Tide. Yeah, I have to say it was uh, they, they were better. Uh, if you're using the transitive property, the mutual opponent, uh, they were better, and they're they're a better team than us. Uh, home field advantage, away, whatever. I don't, I don't. That, to me, that doesn't matter all too much. Uh, but I will say that if you know to kind of put a positive spin on it for Clemson fans, they had a they we we forced them to put a lot on tape. Uh, and Jimbo Fisher, or I'm sorry, and Nick Saban is really good if he has some some evidence and some tape to work with, and we certainly gave him that. Um, I'll say that I, I think Mond uh, did show that he was good in the first half, but it was I, they had Alabama had a lot of answers for those underneath routes. Um, everything, everything, you know, six yards and back. Those, those his safety, his safety valve uh, that that worked so well for him. It wasn't it wasn't available against Alabama, um, but the, at the same time, there there are some what would, say, what would you say inefficiencies in Bama's defense that could potentially be exploited. Can't say the same uh, about their offense. I'm still looking for a weakness. Can't find one. And how how weird is that? That's a complete 180 uh, from Bama teams of the past where you never question their defense. The offense was always never great. They did what they had to do to win, and they won championships, but never a flashy, spectacular offense. Look what a difference a quarterback makes. If Jalen Hurts was their quarterback, by the way, we should start saying J- Jalen Hurts should start for out, Al- you know, poses B- Bama comment board guys and then say that Hurts should win the quarterback battle. Because, of course, Nick Saban would listen to us. But uh, that, I think that might be one of our only chances to, I won't say to beat them, but, uh, you know, right now they're a little bit ahead of us and it's it's a lot to do with Tua. Yeah, they're a damn good football team and they're proving it on the field. They're, they're, they're beating um, good competition. Um, well, Texas A&M. Least. I'm not sure that they played very good competition. Certainly not Louisville, um, but you know this was the test we were intrigued to see, and Bama answered the call, and they looked like the number one team in the country. Sure did. And and only other thing I'll say is we weren't that close from being a for, for from it being a four score game against A and M. Uh, we just didn't put the put our, our foot on the pedal like they did. I mean, if we if we really press. And we and a lot of a lot of that's coaching. It would have never been a two point game, so I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't take too much from from them blowing out from Bama blowing out A and M. Yeah, and again, we had no tape on A and M's offense or no meaningful tape at that time. So 
I'll take that with a grain of salt. Uh, number two, Georgia beating Missouri 43 to 29, two touchdown win there. That game was a lot closer, though. Yeah, a lot closer than indicates. Right, right. They they had a, a special teams, I believe. Uh, can't remember if it was a special teams turnover or what, but or a touchdown or what. But they did have a pick six uh, on Drew Locke early on. Oh, I know what it was. It was uh, a fumble, like the forward motion with your arm, and they just got they they got a few lucky lucky breaks, and this all of a sudden this game is would have been a lot closer. And what, I think the one thing we saw from Georgia is their defense, while good, it's not elite. It'll probably be elite by next year. Um, but there, there's definitely um, some, again, definitely some inefficiencies there that you, that Clemson could exploit. Drew Locke was able to do that. He's the right type of quarterback, I think, to do it with his his uh, bigger frame and and, and arm talent. Uh, we seem to have a guy that's like kind of looks the mold at Clemson that could potentially exploit a team like Georgia. Um, and then their their offense is really good. I mean, no, no surprise. But um, I think we I think Clemson could go toe to toe with Georgia right now, not and not be afraid. Yeah, so as I mentioned, not too worried about Georgia leapfrogging us last week into that two position because as the season plays out, these things will all get worked out. Uh, looking past us, Ohio State takes care of business against Tulane. Oklahoma with a close scare against Army, only winning by seven there. When I start to look at the top ten, once I get past four, I don't have a lot of confidence in a lot of these teams that I'm seeing. Oklahoma with a close call. Um LSU, kind of a surprising rise into the top 10. We'll see them get continue to get tested. Oregon, uh, or sorry, Stanford with a good comfort behind win against Oregon, 38-31 to 31 last night. But I start to question the, the Pac-12 when I see you know Stanford fall so far behind and then have to come back. Um, Washington with a close game against Arizona State. They're, in my mind, the first team that's going to, or sorry, the first conference that is probably going to get knocked out of the college football playoff, just from what I'm seeing on the field. I would probably, I would agree with that. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think Stanford is what, uh, if they're, that that's your best team. And I, honestly, I think Washington is the Pac-12's best team, but um, I, it'll be tough with that lot, that early season loss to Auburn. Um, Notre Dame, I don't know if you know this, Ben, they've already done away with Brandon Wimbush after, you know, beating the beatdown of Michigan. They throw in Ian Book, who I, all my Notre Dame friends say that he is a, the better talent. And they might actually ha- have a playoff case if they can go through their their gauntlet of a schedule, which really isn't the gauntlet like we first suspected. Right. Uh, but nonetheless, an impressive win over Wake Forest, a Wake Forest team that a lot of people unfortunately had hypes, high hopes for um, through three weeks in the season in the ACC. Both them and Boston College take one on the chin um and virginia tech so i mean we're just kind of focusing on the acc now how bad is this a look for the acc of wake forest losing so bad in notre dame purdue beating boston college and then oh my god virginia tech like number one why agree to play a game at old dominion this is what you get this is you deserve this players could have been too excited to go to old dominion i don't even know where old dominion is it's in eastern virginia Plattsburgh is in Western Virginia, so I think the the logic behind this was get into a, a, a hot bed of recruiting in that part of the state that they don't have as much exposure in. But <laughs> oh yeah, don't lose. That's the one thing. Uh, d- yeah, don't lose because uh, losing to Old Dominion, zero three team certainly is not going to help. Um, but overall, just an absolutely embarrassing weekend for the ACC. Yeah, we're not going to, again, we're not going to learn too much. Uh, in, in looking at the margin of victory with our games, I wouldn't look at that either. But you're not going to be too tested. Uh, Florida State has had its own struggles, and and again, I, going back to Notre Dame, like their schedule is a lot of those ACC teams: Virginia Tech, Florida State, 
Syracuse, that might be the best of the bunch. Uh, I don't know. Virginia Tech's probably the best. They also have Stanford and USC, and neither one of those teams we don't believe are, are legitimate playoff contenders. So it, it's going to be interesting by the end of the year. Well, and we haven't had this be an issue yet in the college football playoff era, but when you have an independent like this, do so well that's going to take one bid away from a conference in the college football playoffs should they make it and that's where losing one game is going to really hurt you and you can't afford to do that so if Notre Dame's playing well worry about that like we can't lose a game because with as weak as the ACC is it looks like the SEC is going to get two teams in again this year talked about the Pac-12 Big Ten Big 12 still legitimately in it Notre Dame is definitely going to be a spoiler for somebody should they continue to win will be interesting and you know the only other thing I see with with Ohio State is they actually do have some tests with at Penn State this coming week. That'll be one we'll be watching. And then Michigan is actually starting to play a little bit better. I don't, again, Ben, I won't say they're going to make the playoff like I did last year. Talk to me when they're in the top 10. But their their quarterback's starting to get comfortable in the system. And the only thing that, the only reason this matters is by the end of the year, they can give Ohio State a run for their money. Well, so, and let's take a look at the uh, week five. You mentioned Ohio State at Penn State. That is an absolutely huge game. Uh, for the pecking order of the Big Ten. And actually, this coming weekend is probably going to be the best weekend of college football that we've seen all year. you got Ohio State at Penn State. you got number seven, Stanford, at number eight, Notre Dame. Um, that'll be a big game to watch. BYU at 11, Washington. BYU, I mean, this could be the weekend that um, the Pac-12 gets knocked out of the playoff if Notre Dame wins and BYU. BYU uh, with a win against Wisconsin last weekend. They're number 20 um, in the polls, so... It's not going to be an easy game for Washington. The Pac-12s could certainly be on the outside looking in after this weekend. Uh, but then you kind of have a team that nobody's been talking about, but with Will Greer uh, coming from Florida and going to West Virginia, they're sitting at number 12 right now. Uh, they walloped Kansas State over the weekend 35-6. to They've got a game coming up at Texas Tech, the 25th-ranked Red Raiders this weekend. Again, this is going to be a fun weekend for college football because you could see a lot of these undefeated – well, you're going to see some undefeated teams go down for sure. Absolutely. And we will keep an eye on, on West Virginia, but the, the good news is they will have, like they will be tested throughout the year. Um, yeah. Like they, they're going to have TCU and uh, I believe they play. Yeah. They play Oklahoma. They play the round well, robin. We right? say TCU, like they're a good team, but you've got the Ohio state loss and they lost to Texas over the weekend, which is not a good look. Yeah. Yeah. Some decent teams will say that could potentially like, we'll find out if they're good or not. Uh, you know, and I, we'll find out if they're the imposter. Uh, and then lastly, South Carolina at number 17, Kentucky. And I only bring this up because I am shocked to see Kentucky rank 17th. How did that happen? They're actually really good. You know, I heard the the, the Sports Nation, Bill C. and uh, and Godfrey talking about talking about them statistically. They're they're just really good. They play they play good D. Then they have a really good offensive line, so they're able to run the ball. Who knew the best team, uh, the second best team in the East this year would be Kentucky? Who picked that? But let me say this about South Carolina. Well, in all fairness, the, yeah. the East is not the toughest of the SEC conferences. Not at all. Uh, yeah, it's kind of that that number two spot is up for grabs, uh, and it's yeah, it, it's mediocrity usually is the one grabbing it, or it, it has the last few years. But we'll say this about South Carolina: I think they are a, a solid top twenty-five team. And I don't, but I don't, it's really hard for them. I think it's going to be really hard for them to get inside of the top 15. And this isn't a backhanded compliment, but I think they should be happy with where they are if they can stay there and then maybe hope once every, we'll say four years, they can, you know, get a good quarterback and swing within the top 15 or make a top, have a top 10 team. That would be a pretty ideal 
scenario for them, would you, wouldn't you say? Yeah, but part of this, too, they haven't been playing Alabama. The Alabama's and LSU's on their schedule the past few years, so they've kind of had a missed window of opportunity. I think they get Bama back on the schedule next year, so that starts to make it tougher. Um, again, you talk about the SEC gauntlet. They haven't been playing an SEC gauntlet the last few years. No, not at all. No, and and like look at A and M. I don't. Would anybody say that South Carolina is better than Texas A and M right now? And A and M's having a hard time cracking the top twenty-five. So when I say top twenty-five team, I don't necessarily mean the AP team or the AP poll or or otherwise. I really just mean are they a legit top twenty-five team? Like, doesn't matter if you have two losses or not. Okay, fair enough. I'll give it to you. They could be a legitimate top twenty-five team. Does that matter to me? I don't really care. It, it shouldn't matter to you. Yeah. Good. Because it doesn't. Um, so, yeah, a lot of good football coming up this weekend. Um, a lot of undefeated teams are going to go down, and some conferences are going to take some hits. And hopefully that does not happen to Clemson when we play an undefeated Syracuse team who has looked decent. We've got some revenge um, in store for them after the loss last year. So that wraps up the show. We appreciate everybody for listening here to the Georgia Tech recap. We will be back at you after the Syracuse game this coming Saturday. Again, uh, feel free to interact with us on Facebook or Twitter. We're at Clemson Podcast. You can email us, ClemsonPodcast at gmail.com. Unless those emails are to complain about profanity. No more of those. We've we've corrected that issue. I don't Uh, think we said one single cuss word. This whole show? Yes. Quite possibly not. We'll find out when we listen to it tomorrow. Um, but again, thanks everybody for listening. We appreciate we appreciate all the great iTunes reviews. Uh, those are very helpful in getting our brand out there and um, helping us find new listeners. And on that note, tell a friend, tell a parent, tell a kid, um, especially now that we're keeping it more PG-13. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, of course, uh, we appreciate the, the listens as always and any interaction. Um, it makes what we do fun here. So once again, thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back with you with a recap of the Syracuse game. And until then, go Tigers.